Hello, folks. How are you doing? I hope you had a great weekend. Okay, so the LDS canon says that the Church of Jesus Christ did not copy Freemasonry. But instead, Freemasonry is an imperfect form of the restored gospel. Uh, there are a few weird coincidences that may um, oppose this statement. Uh, this is especially the case since the Book of Mormon does not speak in Masonic terms at all. So it seems that there are two different systems. And so today we will try to dive into what are the differences, what are the similarities, and what does it all mean. Thank you very much, and let's go. Okay, so the LDS faith seems to be composed of various traditions that were in vogue in the Victorian age. Now, let me explain. Uh, Freemasonry is very Victorian. Uh, it was born kind of in England or Scotland, depending on the version that you go with. And the way in which they conducted themselves in England was very... Um, Shall we say boring? Uh, Freemasonry itself is pretty boring. Uh, people just go around and they relay messages. It's very cordial. There's no music. It's pretty solemn. And according to the traditions, there's a reason for that. But the other type of um, cultures did not follow the same type of rudimentary and boring styles. For example, Greek and French, French Freemasonry is a lot more active. It's a lot more interactive. Uh, there's a lot more tools and traps and swords and real Tourette's. Uh, but English Freemasonry is a lot more boring, and that is the Freemasonry that got imported into the United States. Um, but and then it seems that that Freemasonry also made its way into the LDS Church. But what does that mean the, as far as the, the, the Freemasonry within the LDS Church? Was it adapted? That Victorianism was adapted into the LDS Church? Uh, that is only speculative, but there seem to be a lot of... Um, commonalities, and therefore we need to be able to analyze them to be able to understand the perspective of the work that the LDS Church is trying to do uh, in a Masonic form, which is totally understandable. Uh, we have our, our way of doing things, and if we try to accomplish a particular objective through the means in which we usually do things, that is per per perfectly acceptable. Um, we may not have to reinvent the wheel, let's say. But let's try to understand if this was a perspective of Joseph Smith or simply it was uh, just taken straight out of Freemasonry like a, a lot of uh, authors seem to elude. Uh, Freemasonry is kind of an adaptation of biblical Kabbalistic and philosophical ideas. These ideas uh, transform themselves into, ceremon into, into, into ceremonies, uh, 
they take canon from the Bible, they take canon from the Kabbalah, and from philosophical ideas and some other types of Freemasonry, take part to take also pieces from the Greek Eleusian mysteries, uh, a little bit from the Egyptians, uh, a little bit from the Knights Templar, and so on and so forth. So Freemasonry is composed of a lot of traditions, not necessarily in a pagan way, but uh, because there is a lot of Judaism and Christianity within Freemasonry. But Freemasonry, Freemasonry definitely makes use of other faiths and traditions to try to um, learn from those particular values, not in a religious way, but in a moral way uh, and a cultural way. Okay, so masonry is primarily practiced all over the world in the form of three initiatory grades. These three initiatory grades are usually called the Blue Lodge, like here in the United States. Uh, the, these three grades are the Inter Apprentice, the Fellow Craft, and the Master Mason grades. These three initiatory ceremonies contain biblical and philosophical knowledge and are the preamble to other branches of Freemasonry, like it would be the Scottish Rite, or the York Rite, or the Royal Arch, or the Shriners, uh, and so on and so forth. There are many of them, and also depending also on the type of Freemasonry. Now, let me clarify that I have been a member of the LDS Church for over 18 years, and I have been a Freemason for about 22 years, and I have participated in Masonic-associated groups, uh, such as Scottish Rite, uh, the Golden Dawn, the Rosicrucians, the Ellis Cohen, and a couple of others. I have spent a great deal of my life studying the philosophy and esoteric thought of these organizations. This is one of the reasons why I started this podcast, because this is, this is what fascinates me. I, I love to try to analyze and, and try to teach others about the symbolism within Freemasonry, within the LDS Church, and, and other branches. And also, most importantly, the people associated with these organizations. Uh, for example, I have always been fascinated with, uh, with Ptolemy, with Pythagoras, with Isaac Newton, uh, with Aristotle, with Plato. And these people did not just invent cool things. They invested a great deal of their time in esoteric ventures. Uh, it is, has been proven now that Isaac Newton invested most of his time in the pursuit of studying alchemy, more than he did with physics or with mathematics. Uh, the same thing with uh, Pythagoras. Pythagoras studied a, a mystery school before he, and, and then it was mathematics that, that became a derivation of his mystery tradition. And he felt that mathematics was all over and that that was the language of the universe. And this is these type of concepts that just fascinate me. And that is why I try to make sense of them and try to understand them. And unfortunately, they are not explored in, in, in regular academia. Because regular academia just tries to explore sciences for their, utili for their utilitarian use. Uh, you know, mathematics for finance or engineering, but not to try to understand it from a philosophical perspective, which I am fascinated with. 
And that is the way in which those great masters who, in, who, in, who invented them or who discovered them initially saw them. And since there is no other way to try to study them, this is why I study it. I think it's imperative for us to be able to try to understand mathematics from the perspective of the masters. And even up to this day, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to write a book or an essay on the mathematics of modern physics and how do they, inter, how do they interwine with mysticism uh, because it's a fascinating subject. Okay, so let's go back to, to, to the topic of, uh, of Mormonism as, as, as it relates to uh, Freemasonry. And so the formation, for example, let me start, let's start, talk about, start talking about quorums. The formation of a quorum is a, is a Masonic concept. A Masonic quorum uh, in its minimum form is uh, five members to form a lodge. A lodge is a place where a group of Masons can gather together to initiate another Freemason or to conduct business. Uh, like a business meeting to try to um, pay their bills or agree on certain bills that they need to pay or how are they going to conduct the business of the lodge. The Masonic Quorum um, is composed of, let's say in this minimum form, it will be the Worshipful Master, the, the, the Senior and Junior Wardens, and the Senior and Junior Deacons. The order of these triads happens because in the way they conduct business and they relay information. Uh, the master, for example, passes information to the, to the senior warden, senior warden passes to the junior warden, or the master passes to the senior deacon or to the junior deacon. These may be very, very familiar to some people who have been in a uh, Mormon temple ceremonies or at least have watched them because it happens in the same way. The, the, the master or this, you know, the, the personage that is on top does not relay information directly to men. There has to be an intermediary and this seems to be very, very Masonic. And so this similar and this is very similar to the pro also to the formation of the leadership of the LDS Church. Uh, it seems that the, the these the, but just with different names, the senior warden and the junior wardens will be the first and second counselors. Uh, the senior warden in Freemasonry is representative of the guardian of the West, and the junior warden is representative of the southern gate of Solomon's temple. The idea that Joseph Smith called temple temple, it is probably also alludes to Solomon's temple. And so once again, and then in Freemasonry, all of the degrees for the three degrees for the Blue Lodge and a lot for Scottish Rite also talks about heavily about Solomon's temple. And so the Bible describes the temple of Solomon very differently to the Mormon temple or to the Masonic temples. 
In fact, the Talmud also tries to reconstruct the pieces of the symbolism of Solomon's temple. They try to figure out why they were doing certain things, and they're not able to do so. They try to try to understand it, but it does, they, they don't quite get it yet. The adaptation of the tradition of Solomon's temple into the LDS faith became into very it transformed into a very Victorian form, uh, as Joseph Smith probably you know went through Freemasonry and tried to adopt the ideas of the temple Solomon's temple into a form in which he can um, pass on to the members, and this was not cool for the Freemasons because Freemasonry at that time, was very male and was very chauvinistic, um, misogynistic, misogynistic, you can even say. And so when Masons found out that Joseph Smith was giving temple ordinances to, male and women, to men and women or even black people, this was something that Freemasons didn't like very much. But then this changed a little bit uh, during the presidency of Brigham Young or Woodruff. The Freemasonic ritualistic way of doing things probably changed into a live form of presentation. And during uh, the presidency of President McKay, uh, then it became kind of like a movie. And so the temple ceremonies within the LDS faith has changed and it has transformed. Some things have been taken out. Uh, but the Freemason writers also uh, have made use of philosophy to, in the, to, to, to fill in the gaps of what might have happened in the Temple of Solomon or to try to, to or try to explain things in a certain way to try to convey the point that they seem to understand. One of the guys that brought a lot of information was Albert Pike. And it is interesting how Freemasons and Mormons use prim primarily the allegories of the Temple of Solomon but yet they leave out uh, rituals that are alluded to, like, for example, in the, in, into, into Moses, um, the, you know, into, into, into Moses, uh, his own temple, or, the, or Mark Herman. Uh, and why does this happen? I think it's because the God of the people of Israel first appeared to Moses in Mount Sinai, but God didn't really quite have a house until Solomon finished the temple. And that has a huge um, symbolism. I believe that the reason why they use Solomon's temple as a focus for the allegories is because the Israelites... Uh, formed a, a community around the temple and the temple being the house of God and whoever controls the house of God obviously controls God or can speak for God um, but we can learn a lot from this con 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 concept Na in uh, Nathan's prophecy before David became David the, the king of Israel uh, Nathan prophesied of the arrival of Solomon and he prophesied of the, that the line of David will live forever. This uh, prophecy of perpetual existence also typifies a symbol of that the church will live forever. 
And not only will they speak for God, but they will also own God or will speak for God forever. And so they're taking upon themselves the sovereignty of the God of Israel. Uh, but this is a little bit far from the truth if they cannot really figure out what really happened. And even then, it didn't come to fruition. The line of David finished with the sons of Solomon, and they did not continue the reign of David. Uh, Israel was disbanded, and it was the sons of Solomon spread all over the place. They lost Israel, and so they had to come back, and then they tried to get a second temple going and continue the land of, of David. And this has been happening for the last, I don't know, who knows, maybe five, four thousand, three thousand years. Who knows how long this, is, this has been happening. And so now that we have a more comparable uh, set of data, we can try to make sense as to what happened in the Temple of Solomon. Because the tradition of what happened in the Temple is not unique to the Temple of Solomon. The Native Americans, for example, did something very similar, but not only with a temple, but with pyramids, were in a very similar way. Uh, and we, with that set of data, we can make guesses as to what might have happened if we compare what is really happening. But once again, this is also a guess, but it's an educated guess. The, but then again, it's a guess like... Uh, the LDS Church also seems to allude that the temple had to do with Jesus. The Jews will disagree with that. But as of today, there have been many groups that have claimed to have had the power of the God of Israel. But, you know, since they don't obey the rules of the temple, nor do they understand the symbolism, those churches fall. And in, in the next episode, I will take... Uh, uh, I will take an approach of some cultural traditions that have established a very similar set of customs to try to understand what was really happening in the Temple of Solomon. Because this was not the only temple. There were many different temples, maybe like at least five that belonged to the Israelites that were around, that, that existed around the same period. And then the tradition changed. And I have a guess as to why that changed. And so this is the first episode on kind of like the Freemasonry, ancient Israelite traditions. Anyway, thank you very much and have a great week. Bye-bye.